0: to the Construction Big Breakfast, where we give you a hearty serving of insider tips and business strategies to help fuel your day so you can thrive in the construction industry. Now, here's your host, Tip
1: Top Tim Fitch. Hello. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of the Construction Big Breakfast podcast. Uh, uh, Welcome you again and today we've got a very special guest uh who's based in texas it's stuart carroll of beck technology and welcome stuart
0: oh thank you thank you for having me great to join you this morning
1: no oh, great we're going to get into why stuart's on and what he's all about shortly and of course uh my regular uh, co-host uh this week is ben pritchard say hi ben hi everyone OK, so we're filming this. First day of September, be, uh, uh, Ben and my children are going back to school this week. Bo's um, dog, that is, that's barking in the background. Not
0: mine, that's My dog. Barks. mine. Yeah, so I
1: was going to say, Ben's got a little puppy he's just got. I thought it's really got a grown-up bark. Um, anyway, so we're be, uh, far from dogs barking, we're going to be talking about uh, estimating uh, software and all sorts of technology stuff to do with the front end of construction. But as any of our uh, avid listeners and viewers will know that you know, when we we try and find interesting guests from around the world. And today we've got Stuart, who's based in Texas. And Stuart, I've got to ask you, what did you have for breakfast this morning?
0: You're you're going to cringe, but uh, porridge um, with uh, just water and uh, no sugar, no salt, just just porridge. I'm about as boring as you can possibly get when it comes to breakfast. That to
2: sound rather bland. I mean. <laughs>
0: So I, I, actually, um, I actually am a swimmer, and um, even, even in my later years, so I, I'm up at the, the crack of dawn. And um, the, the very worst thing you can have before you go do a, a big old workout is a sweet Texas breakfast. So I've always gone back with uh, boring old porridge, but it's, it's served me well over the years.
1: So it's good fuel for
2: swimming?
0: It's wonderful fuel for swimming,
2: why the so, water rather than the milk, though? I mean, I'm a porridge man myself, but never with water.
0: You, you know, so this is, this is a true story. I'll, I'll make it short. But I, um, I guess like a lot of middle-aged men, I put on quite a lot of weight about, uh, I don't know, 10 years ago. And I went on a diet, and um, I was limiting calories. And the way that I limited calories, Monday through Friday, I'm a little OCD. Um, I would eat porridge for breakfast, lunch, and dinner and obviously take vitamins and things like that. But at the weekends, I would, um, you know, eat normal and m- back to Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And believe it or not, I actually got a uh, a taste for it. And I actually really, really like porridge with water. So don't know why, I just do. So that's my, my go-to.
1: Well, <laughs> there's, uh, I suppose there's, there's worse things to get into, isn't there, Stuart? The yeah, See Especially when you're a middle-aged man like me, you know. <laughs> on, ben, what you today? Uh me, well, I um,
2: sort of not that much more interesting. I had uh, cornflakes <laughs> uh with a uh, sort of banana um and uh milk, definitely milk, not um not water for
0: not me. not water.
1: Uh, well <laughs> we're all I mean mine today is uh I had a pretty heavy day for food yesterday, so I I had some toast and marmalade, but very thin uh scraping of marmalade. But anyway. No yeah. wild, exciting breakfast, but we've got an evangelist for porridge with water. So there we go. Porridge and water. You heard it here first, folks? Yeah, the, the
2: podcast can only get more interesting from here.
1: <laughs> <laughs> now, just before we get into the meat and potatoes of the podcast, so I can recognise a British accent when I hear one.
0: So yeah. you haven't always
1: been in Texas, have you?
0: Um, Believe it or not, I left England when I was 18. Um, I was a swimmer and went to the university out here. And then after I was uh, done with graduate school, I went back to the UK for a couple of years and worked in Burke Hampstead. And then the company I worked for got bought out and they moved us back to America. So I spent probably 30 plus years in the US um, and moved all around, been in the Midwest, the Northeast. And Been in Texas the last 20 years. So I do, you'll hear it throughout the podcast. I do a weird twangy thing every once in a while. I'll throw people on the back foot, even my mum and dad once in a while say, Where did that come from? (laughs) So you'll hear one of those.
1: Okay, well, good. We're looking forward to that. So, (laughs) some better weather.
0: It is, uh, even though I'm wearing a jumper, it is um, about 100 degrees outside at uh, 10 o'clock in the morning. So um, that is something, if you want it, I can send it your way. i take your, your weather any day of the week.
1: Well, we're Brits, we like talking about the weather, although it's usually not so great. Just very quick, August has been a peculiar month. The start of the month, it was 34 degrees. It was for about eight days on the trucks, never, ever happens, but it did, Yeah. and yesterday it got up to 15, which was the last one, oh so there's a month of contrast, Yeah. anyway, uh, we've talked about porridge, we've talked about the weather, let's talk about technology, so yes, uh, give, just give us a quick one on that technology, and uh, then we'll get into asking some questions about it.
0: Oh, yeah. So um, we're, we're, you know, a 23-year-old software company headquartered in in Dallas, uh, about 70 employees. Um, We're a little bit different from a lot of technology companies in the sense that we were actually born from a contractor, a 103-year-old contractor here in the U.S. called the Beck Group. And the chairman of the Beck Group, um, my boss, Um, back in the early 1990s had a little bit of an epiphany and the epiphany was that in construction we assume an awful lot of risk late in the life of a project and if you look at what we get paid um, it's getting less and less year by year so peter's epiphany was if we want to really make a difference um, and really build better projects um, with better outcomes and get paid um, the value that we, we, we you know, derive, we need to get involved earlier. So Peter went on this this journey of trying to integrate design and construction. And out of that, he came to the realization that there are no integrated tools that enable designers to figure out what's the price of a project on day one. Um, there are really very few tools that enable contractors to really understand what the architect is, is um, proposing and you don't really figure it out until you get out into the construction site. So um, we founded Beck Tech really with the belief that by making designing, there goes the dog again, design and construction more collaborative, um, being able to enable the contractor and the architect to sit together and use technology as a way of having a conversation about what's in the architect's head we could get better pricing, better schedules, better quality, and ultimately that would lead to better project outcomes. So we've been selling commercial software since 2006. We service a lot of the biggest companies in the US, um, design and construction companies. So that's really what we do and where we've been. And focused on that
2: front end pre-construction phase or does it carry on?
0: Yeah, so we we, um, we're very much a pre-construction oriented company. Um, We're very much of the belief that um, the biggest opportunity is to make changes when you haven't really put a ton of time and effort into documenting the project. So we are a pre-construction company. However, if you if you look at what really happens, at least in the US and this may be globally, you know nothing about a project on day one you know as much as you're ever gonna know about a project at the end of construction, um, but we don't use that data throughout the life of the project the next go around. So we refer to that as the pre-construction data lifecycle. So everything that we have focused on is in pre com but we're capturing data throughout the life of the project with the intention of being able to use that to make better, more informed decisions in pre-construction.
2: Cool. I mean, one of my um, uh, favorite sayings is uh, that as an industry where uh, data rich and knowledge poor. Um, yes. So we're generally sort of very good at measuring, um, but we don't often know uh, why we're measuring it. And we certainly then don't particularly uh, do much with that measurement. Um, so you, you take the outturn costs and the um, like maintenance costs, lifecycle costs, and you bring that in to make more informed decisions early days. Is that what you're saying? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that, that, less, less today about um, operational costs. Um, a lot of our customers are you know, builders, contractors. So our focus has been um, how do we enable them to make better pricing, quality, safety, the things that contractors today are concerned with. But big picture, um, I agree 100% with what you were saying. You know, I, I can't imagine an industry that creates more data. But we do absolutely nothing with it. So um, I sort of liken where we're at today. It was funny, you know, when I started in this industry 30 years ago, I thought this was, you know, easy and it would take off in five years' uh, time. I'd be looking for something else to do. And 30 years later, we're still tip of the iceberg. But I, I, I genuinely think life cycle data um, is, is definitely part of where we're heading. It's not what we've got today, but it, it's definitely where we're heading.
2: What do you think the barriers are? Why? Because there's no reason, really, is there, for us not to be there already?
0: Um, yeah. Most cases. I, I, it, it, and I, again, my a lot of my working career is in the US, so that's where my perspective comes from. But um, if if you sort of go back to you know historical the '50s, '60s in the US, um, there's a lot of references to the master builder. The master builder is the designer the engineer, the subcontractor, the builder, all in one. And I think as an industry in the 70s, we, we started to um, go away from that model where the architect was in a silo, the engineer was in a silo, the contractor was in a silo, the subcontractor was in a silo. Obviously, the US is a very litigious society and they put contracts in place and there's, there's threats around lawsuits. Um, I also think if you look at technology, technology sort of CAD, it was wonderful um, in terms of production for the architect, but it drove more and more to, I'm legally responsible for this and you're legally responsible for that. So I, 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 I agree conceptually, um, there are no real barriers, but in reality, the barriers are mindset, process, legal contracts. Um, you know, risk and reward. Um, I think what's what's starting to happen in the US um, is that a lot of companies are starting to see the value of pulling down those barriers between the disciplines and starting to bring more design and engineering and construction together with the belief that we can commit earlier in the life of a project on a guaranteed level of quality, you know, set level of specification at a set price, at a set um, you know construction schedule, and by doing that, they benefit financially. So I think I think there are barriers, but I think they're being pulled down. And then I think technology becomes the catalyst to help accelerate that. So um, I, I I am very excited about what I'm seeing today compared to thirty years ago, where I don't think it's just a technology problem. I think it's a it's a societal problem it's a it's a legal problem and it's a it's a change management problem but i think we're starting to see all of those um barriers come down so hopefully that makes sense
1: no, it makes perfect sense to me i mean the, the the construction sector i like in fact the word i'm starting to use now is ecosystem yes yeah the Technology's got a part to play, but there's other, there's all those other facets that uh, need working on as well, and of course. Oh, agreed. Ben and I. Been... It's,
0: it's... So I was going to say, you know, Ben was mentioning, um, you know, counting and measuring and things like that. We, we um, as a company, I think what we've focused on is as these disciplines are starting to sit at the same table and they're starting to have conversations. Instead of spending time measuring and formatting reports and what we would consider low value activities, vitally important, you have to understand what's the length and what's the area, and what's the volume. And you have to get things in a format that easily communicates design intent or estimate or whatever you're trying to communicate. But they really don't make the project better. Mm. Um, so one of the things that we've, we've really tried focusing on the last several years is to capture the data and then start serving that data up in ways that enable teams of people, cross-disciplinary teams within that ecosystem, to look at using the time that they would have been doing on those low-value activities to making better project decisions. Increasing the daylight in a a classroom. Evidence would show that increasing daylight means that the kids retain more information. Adding beds into hospitals. more beds you have, the more lives you can save. So hopefully, making the the time that the that the teams have focused on making the project better, rather than just counting, measuring, and, and estimating. So that's really um, why uh, I get so excited.
2: Yeah, I think it, there's a, a real misconception that through um, sort of standardisation that you um, sort of lose uh, an ability to um, to 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 make the building sort of look different, look better, and things like this. But if you're starting at a you know not a blank sheet of paper then you're right people can really focus on the value add you know how can yes. i make these things better how can i better sort of understand what the end user wants and build this into um what i've got rather than sort of you know starting from scratch and working up from there it's there, there, there really is no need um for us as an industry especially with uh, you know, modular and other types of modern methods of construction that allow you to componentize and create these systems uh, that are well understood. You know, we should really yes. be focusing on, you know, making better places.
0: Yeah, agreed. I mean, you, you, you look around us and, you, I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out as you drive down the street, you know, the, what, what was the purpose of the building? And in, in most cases, again, back to the 70s and 80s, it was all about form. And when you, when you, when you listen to um, owners, not, not all owners, but 80 to 90% of owners, they want the best functioning facility. And there are certain elements that, that they want, um, you know, the best looking entrance, they want their brand. Um, but to your point, I mean, why, why start from scratch on the HVAC systems? Um, you know, they, they need to serve a purpose, and um, we have built enough buildings to know um, how to get the best performing, best functioning systems without starting from scratch every single time. So, um, so in, it's an exciting so time to be in construction.
2: Uh, well, hopefully, certainly. Um, uh, in terms of um, sort of the, all the data, um, sort of within. Um, your your ecosystem, you know, you've got the mm-hmm. opportunity for a rather large sort of data lake um, that lots of people could potentially sort of look at to create sort of well-understood benchmarks that are bigger than just my organization. Is that sort of something that you see an appetite with, um, w- with your customers for, to understand not only am I performing well from my sort of historical past, but actually as an industry, where am I?
0: I, I, de- I definitely think there are opportunities um, industry wide, um, where we have focused in the U.S. Right or wrong, um, has been collecting data on a individual company basis. We we do have the right to aggregate data and look across the industry. To date, what we have really focused on has been enabling customers to set up the way that they want to classify their data, the metrics that are important to them, capture that and then provide them tools that are built into the workflow for doing, hey, I want to benchmark this against the past five projects of a similar type. Um, when we're going through and we're doing value engineering, instead of them you know, thinking from a blank sheet of paper, let's look at the history of alternatives that we have as a company have done. The challenge with industry data um, is distrust. Um, it, it's sort of a sort of like model-based estimate. We, we actually have a integrated um, 3D BIM um, capability within our, our application. The, the idea is awesome, but I think, it, again, it comes back to trust. And I think um, if, you, if you haven't created it, there is always a distrust. In the US, there there's, there's several, um, industry-wide data sources, RS means, um, is, is the one that a lot of people are familiar with. Um, most of our customers want to benchmark against it, but they don't trust it, and all they all they want to make sure is they're kind of in the ballpark. So I think I think there are some other um, challenges to to solve before you start serving the data up across the industry. Um, well, I would I challenge you slightly,
2: and um, you sure. know, Tim. Yeah, uh, see what you think i uh, i'm not sure whether it's a lack of trust or more fear and apprehension because that's the only place they can compete so if you take away that ability to compete on price most of the industry's buggered
0: <laughs> yeah i, I mean uh, fair point it, it um it, it's it's sort of funny when um we so there's there's several things we do for our customers one of the things we 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 do and, the implementation phase with our product is set them up with a database, and it's amazing how many of them talk about their secret sauce being their unit prices. And I, I always scratch my head. You, you look at two contractors in the same market. Are you working with different subs? No, we're working with the same subs. So really, your unit prices are the same. So I, I, I guess I could I could see that to a, d- a degree. I think the, the 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 challenge that I've I've seen though is. If I, if I don't know what goes into it, I inherently distrust it. When mm. I inherently distrust it, I'm not going to use it. I'm not gonna try and learn why it is what it is. I'm just going to distrust it. So I guess my point would be, even if it is that their um, you know, the value proposition isn't, isn't high enough, um, I still think there's distrust of data that you inherit as opposed to data that you create. I think where we have started, maybe we're taking the easy easy path, is let's capture the data that you do trust, that you put out in front of your customers, and let's let's use it to enable you to make better decisions. Um, I think uh, there's plenty of problems to solve, and I'm not all about boiling the ocean on day one, but um, I do think you've got to start somewhere, and that's really where we've chosen to start.
2: Tim, I thought you were looking rather pensive. Yeah. Um, I- I, so I'm not sure how
1: much of that <laughs> so I, I lost about 30 seconds because uh, I did data interruption. <laughs> anyway, I'm, back, I'm back and I'm, I, I heard most of that. I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued really about just explain it. How how you capture through the delivery phase of a project, uh, the cost data. The actual cost data and presumably time data that Yeah, through.
0: so yeah, so um as I mentioned, we're we're focused on pre-construction. Um we have an integrated pre-construction toolkit. So not uh, you know another another big beef of mine is an is an industry, where we're we're deliverable centric. Um, you know, we 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 keep the estimates, but we lose all the data that went into building the estimate, um, or we don't use it. So one of the things in our solution is we have a simple versioning capability. So at every major milestone or any milestone in between, um, you have a simple way, in essence, of saying version. And it will version the quantity takeoff, the model, it will, it will, any of the documents that you used, uh, the estimate, the production rates, the unit prices, all of that gets stored within a SQL database. And then on the back end that SQL database, we have tools, Power BI, Excel, we have some custom tools that enable you to, our customers to leverage that data. So that's pre-con. At the end of pre-construction, we have some integrations with some construction project management partners. You probably know the two Autodesk and Procore. Um, with those two, we have the ability of pushing the outputs from our uh, pre-con tool into Um, their tools as the starting points for their budget, along with the starting quantities. Throughout the buyout, they're tracking the changes to those quantities, the changes to the costs. And then at the end of the project, we have a um, method of bringing back final construction quantities, um, final construction costs, and we bring it back in as an estimate. Um, And then um, we store that in our database um, so that we have final production rates, final. Whatever you have been tracking in the field, um, we have that information. Obviously, if you're not if you're not tracking productivity rates, we don't have those from the construction side. But we are bringing whatever data you do have back into our system, so you have every major milestone, including buyer. And
1: how
2: do you? um, I mean, when I was working um, client side before I joined Invent. Uh, we had mm-hmm. lots of, uh, I mean, a lot of it was, you know, spreadsheet based, I'll be honest, you know, looking back five, 10 yeah. years, um, Excel is everyone's best and worst friend, um, generally. <laughs> um, and we had lots of opportunity to collect data. And maybe it goes back to your trusting again, but people just, you know, it was an extra thing to do. So nobody did it.
1: Um,
2: yeah. it, it. Is so your technology and software well embedded enough that... It can, you know, And have you got um, uh, any um, uh, uh, data that shows that using the information saves time, increases win rates, uh, the tender cost and f- output cost is more accurate, those type of things?
0: Yeah, we, we, we do. So uh, in, in terms of the workflow, uh, I, I, I liken our strategy really to it's almost like a Trojan horse strategy. If you look at the industry again in the U.S., um, a lot of big contractors still utilize Excel, and they will use anything from you know six to a dozen different tools um, that in themselves are best in breed. However, they don't integrate, so the data, you know, you get it from takeoff to estimating. It's copy paste or it's re-enter data, key in data. So our um, Trojan horse, so to speak, was to create this integrated pre-construction toolkit where you can do conceptual estimating, detailed estimating. You can do 2D takeoff, 3D takeoff. You can benchmark. You can um, bid level. So at the end of the pre-construction phase, when you're picking your subs, you can compare one sub number against a sub, another sub's number to get the final price at, at, You know, as your tender in the project. Um, So the first part was to get it all integrated so that people are using the platform. And then we have a little button, it's in the top left-hand corner called version. And um, at every major milestone, our customers will version the estimate. And by doing that, you in essence are saying, take everything that I've done, it's not an extra activity, it's just marking in time, I'm at the end of schematic design, end of design development, end of construction documents, um, so it's not an extra step. It's it's making it easy for people to use, and then we have tools on the back end that enable you to leverage that data. So part of it, I think, is is really giving them an easy way to do it, but then showing them the value of doing it. Um, we do have customers that have been able to demonstrate. It's it's let you know. It's less about. Um, um, Accuracy, because I think the thing that I hear from my customers, you're guaranteed to be wrong. You're working off of incomplete information. It's degrees of wrong. So I think the thing that we we, um, we have anecdotally is it's more predictable. The number that I put at the beginning, um, at every major milestone, we have the ability in the tool to compare what changed between those data sets and visually be able to show the team, hey, you changed this. And because it's tied to the estimate, this is the so what. So it's less about it's cheaper or it's faster, but it is one hundred percent anecdotally more predictable. We see less variation from initial concept through um, buyout. So
2: you you know you'd be wrong, but you know why you're wrong.
0: You know why you're wrong. (laughs) And you know, I I, I mean, I I know that sounds funny, but um, to me. The, the, the art of estimating is is that you're taking incomplete information and you're trying to look into a crystal ball to forecast what it's going to, going to be. And all we can do is help our customers use the data they've had before to make better judgment calls and be able to justify why they made a, a judgment call and to have a conversation with the design team if it needs to be different. So it's it's less about right and wrong and more around degrees of of wrong perhaps or degrees of
1: right. I've got I'm intrigued by uh, something you said uh, during that, Stuart. Presumably this is a tool. You're I'm making an assumption. Tell me if I'm wrong. That your sure. your customer base is principally tier one contractors. Yeah.
0: I'm. I mean, we we, we we go down beyond tier one, but yes, a lot of our customers are the the big guys.
1: So, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm like everyone's sat on this call, and I've been in this game a long time. I mean, the tier one contractors they're typically between fifteen and twenty percent self deliver, and the rest is subcontractors and suppliers of materials. So, if if your tool isn't integrated into the supply chain. Mm-hmm. Is still reply, It's still reliant on their plug number. Is it, that it, be, it, maybe a bit cynical? A-
0: well, it, it it is, but it isn't. Again, if you have the history from when you got the subs on the last project, the numbers that you have are the last bidding projects or the last completed projects that that sub has done. So yes, it is a plug number. It is not. It is not the subs number but it is as good as the last number that you got. I mean, the reality is you can have two projects on the the same day, and the subcontract is going to give you a different price, even if they were identical, if they really need the project. So there are are variances in unit prices that I don't care what software you have, you're never going to be able to forecast. And again, it's degrees of right. Instead of Hey, historically, it's $25 per you know, square meter of something. We can actually look at the last three bidding projects in that market and actually use those numbers to come up with, hey, the bids have been really tight. I feel very confident about that number. Or, hey, the bidding history over the last three projects has been a big variance. So let's put a number in, but our contingency may need, may need to be a little bit higher for those particular items. So it's 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 part science, it's part art. Um, I don't think you're ever going to get rid of the the art of estimating, and some of that is understanding the current climate. Um, and you know, I'm I've been around long enough to say we don't have a silver bullet. And I don't That's I don't think even if we did it, you'd sell it.
2: <laughs> but then going back to what we were talking about earlier about sort of you know, a more standardized and componentized sort of marketplace you'll still have that sort of you know, 20% of finishes and things like yep. that can be but we should be able to more accurately sort of say how long and how much um, buildings uh, should cost. I believe uh, and, that. And part of that is I think you know going back to sort of you know what you were um, first talking about so why the Beck Group sort of start looking into this is we need to spend more time up front de-risking projects as much as we can um, you know, don't start trying to figure out what's in the ground once you're already there. Um, otherwise, it's all going to go horribly wrong. I mean, Tim will know that I well from his background.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I, alluding- I mean, I
0: agree 100 percent. Sorry, Tim.
1: No, you yeah, Ben was alluding to where I started this industry, which was literally in the ground. I used to do foundations many decades right. ago. Anyway, Stuart, I mean, it's been a fascinating uh, discussion about the front end of projects, which is where all the trouble starts, isn't it? Definitely. definitely.
0: Um,
1: we're obviously, we're big advocates of uh, putting extra resources, brain power and uh, creativity into the front end of projects. Make sure you do the right one and uh, do it well, as you said. 100%. Sure, it's been a it's been a pleasure having you on talking about uh, uh, Beck Technology and your software and your porridge preferences and your porridge preferences <laughs> and we've enjoyed the interjections from your dog barking in the background. Yeah. Uh, if we've got, obviously we've got lots of viewers for our channel, how do they get hold of you? How do they get hold of Beck Technology?
0: Yeah, so probably the easiest way is uh, go to our website, www.beck-technology.com. That's probably the easiest way to get hold of us.
1: Okay, that's terrific. And uh, we'll put all the uh, contact details in the show notes, uh, which uh, Sarah will do when she's editing it. Uh, And really, to our viewers, thanks very much again, Stuart. Thanks for being asking all the difficult questions today. He's passionate about this stuff uh, to everyone else. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast. Like us. What else am I supposed to say? You're supposed to like it or like, something. Subscribe, <laughs> next, yeah, subscribe. That's it. Subscribe. That's always good. And uh, we'll hopefully you've enjoyed it and we'll see you on the next episode uh, in two weeks time. So thanks for watching.
0: Come to Invent for the highest R&D tax credit you can claim. We help construction businesses get back millions in tax credits every year. Contact us today for a free review. Thanks for joining us this week on the Construction Big Breakfast. Make sure to visit our website, www.invent.com, where you can subscribe to the Construction Big Breakfast on all platforms so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in the show, we'd appreciate a positive rating or if you'd simply share it with a friend, that would help us out too. Be sure to tune in for our next episode.